Church, I want to say, I think we're living in times of opportunity. It, it might feel challenging, but one thing is for sure, it's also filled with opportunity. And I wouldn't want us to, to, to miss this opportunity. I keep asking myself the question, how can we make the most of this? We had planned this sermon series called Awakenings, just looking at some of the revivals, renewals, a special refreshing, spiritual refreshing elements of revival in the Old and the New Testament a while ago. And just the fact that it coincided with this time makes me wonder if the Spirit of God had a plan for them. And I think he did. And what we've looked already so far, we looked at a couple of situations in the Old Testament a couple of awakenings that are happening there. And we can see some interesting patterns in both of them. And the one thing that you can see in both of them is that there is a real sense of engaging with a spiritual compromise or the sin that is in the nation. And because of the syncretism, because of the mixing up of religious elements from some of the neighboring nations, which was creating spiritual compromise and was drawing people away from following God in order to experience the awakening. Or when you experience the awakening, there's that sense of coming back to God by leaving something that is wrong and embracing something that is right. As part of that, another thing that we've seen is a reestablishing of worship and particularly the Passover, which was central for the Jewish people to their spiritual identity, reminding them of a God who saved them out of Egypt and led them into the promised land. Again, what you see is leaders who themselves set an example by living righteous, godly lives before the people, and just a rediscovery of scriptures, a rediscovery of God's word, and an embracing of what God's word is saying, a sense of regret for not living out what was written in them, and a sense of starting to live out those things that were written then. So that's what we see in the Old Testament. And I want us to move into some discoveries from the New Testament and some of the awakenings that we see there. I want to remind you, this is not about a, a, a sort of follow the dot uh, type of copying what happened there, but this is about seeing some of the patterns and principles that were there that hopefully will inspire us on a personal level, but maybe even as a as a community of believers, as churches CFM, or maybe some of the uh, churches that you are part of or leading. And my hope is that this isn't just uh, sort of teaching with small t that touches our minds, but it's something that touches our hearts more than anything else. I hate for us to listen to this and clap and say, hey, that was interesting. There were loads of facts that I didn't know about this or there's some no new discoveries and to have our hearts untouched. The whole point of this is for our hearts to be changed. This is happening just before the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we're camping in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, looking at John the Baptist's ministry. John the Baptist, uh, we know, was living and preceding the ministry of Jesus. So this is where we're placing this in time. Here's what it says in verse 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The awakening in John the Baptist's time starts with a radical message. It's called repentance. And over the last 20, 30 years in the Western churches, it, it's been a word that was uncomfortable to be used because it seemed to be like an old-fashioned, judgmental cliche that turned people off. 
But actually the message that John the Baptist is bringing in a time of renewal and revival and awakening is a radical message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I love the way that there is a place where John the Baptist is choosing to preach and it's in the wilderness. John the Baptist is the anti antithesis of and a total opposite of what a modern day trendy preacher would be like. A modern day trendy preacher would try to get as many hits on social media and try to make sure that there's a whole army of PR machines working to put the best lighting, the best audience, everything needs to be really well choreographed in order to get the results. Well, John the Baptist is totally disinterested in anything to do with popularity. And he chooses to go in the wilderness to preach. And that's quite interesting to me because it probably says that this guy was interested to stir up people's hearts to intentionally come out into an uncomfortable place to listen to the message that God has for them. Sometimes our instinct nowadays is to try to make things as easy for ourselves as disciples of Jesus and just for for church and pastors and leaders to take as many shortcuts as possible to make it easy for people. John doesn't make it easy for his listeners. He goes into the desert. It's almost as if he's pushing people to say, if you're really interested in this, you need to make the effort to come out into an uncomfortable, unfamiliar place to have an encounter with God. I wonder what the Spirit of God is saying to me and you about that, about leaving our comfort and really seeking after that encounter with God that would bring about refreshing. And the message is simple, repent, which simply means turn around, leave something behind in order to embrace something new. Leave in order to embrace. It's turn around, you know, it's kind of 180, changing the directions. If I'm going in that direction, usually the wrong direction, when I'm repenting is I'm making that 180 turnaround where I'm facing in a different direction. And because my mindset has changed, also my direction in life has changed. And that's what John is calling them. And that's why the message is radical. <laughs> you know, it is it is radical because it's a total change. It's We don't like change. The only person that likes to change, Mark Twain used to say, is a wet baby. We hate change. We don't find it comfortable, particularly it means leaving something familiar. And yet that's what John is saying. In other words, John is saying, look, you've got to to realize that the way you lived your life until now in sinful, selfish ways needs to change. And John is saying, repent, turn around, realize you were wrong and embrace something new and come back under God's authority and under his rule. And this is an opportunity. The way John puts it is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It sounds like there's something exciting that's there. So this is not a kind of fear, doom and gloom message. This is an opportunity message. It's almost as if, you know, people were to say when the Olympic torch was coming through Cardiff, people would say, come out onto the main street for the Olympic torch will pass by. What an experience. What a unique experience for your life. John is saying spiritually, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn around. And that's the very core of the Christian life and the life of discipleship. It's spiritual transformation. It's transforming sinners into saints, not those pictures on 
an old church building on a stained glass. Not that those kind of saints. Saints simply means people who are being sanctified, who are being changed, who are becoming more like Jesus. And that's at the very core of the Christian faith. It's not a side issue. It's not a an optional extra. This is at the very core. And John is beginning his ministry of awakening by bringing this message, saying to people, repent, turn around, embrace transformation in your life. It's a great question for me and you this evening. It's a great question. Am I experiencing transformation as a follower of Jesus? Is it happening now? Is it real? Am I hungry for change? Am I hungry for transformation? Would I be willing to do what those who went to hear John the Baptist did, going all the way out into the desert, into an unfamiliar, uncomfortable place, because I'm so hungry for God? That's a cracking question that we need to find an answer to. If we are to experience a sense of fresh spiritual awakening. We need to hear that radical message. The second thing that strikes me is in verse four to verse six. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is an insignificant man. This is a humble man. This is not a charismatic, humanly attractive personality. The way he dresses is incredibly simple, modest. It just speaks out of nothing spectacular. He was a very ordinary man that didn't attract any attention to himself. Makes a little bit of a mockery on some of the interesting Instagram accounts that just shows the American term sneakers and uh, watches of some of the American modern day trendy preachers. Well, John wouldn't have made it. He wasn't that kind of a guy. He was a guy with a simple sense of dressing. He didn't have a mega church that he was preaching in. He was out into the wilderness and his food was locust and wild honey. I'm sure there's probably some gourmet places around the world at the moment that probably serve a diet of that and you pay an arm and a leg to get that kind of food. But I guess it was unconventional um, and it was just, again, speaking about simplicity. What you see in John's ministry, there's no show. There's no human charisma. There's just simply a spirit anointed man full of humility who is bringing a simple message of repentance. And he says people went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins and being baptized in the river Jordan. Once again, everything about this, it, it, it's not consumer driven. It's not a pleasant agenda. These people are not going out there to find self-fulfillment and to listen to motivational messages. They're going there because the spirit of God is drawing them not to a man with a special skill in oratory technique. There was no fancy music. There was no lights and smoke machines. There was just a simple message of repentance. But they're going out because they are hungry. They're hungry to experience God's refreshing awakening. 
And everything that they do, they travel and they go out into the desert from everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region of Jordan. And they go and they confess their sins. Again, this is not about self-actualization. This is not about self-improvement. This is not about a motivational speech. This is not about coming to hear a TED talk. This is simply about humility. Everything from the man that leads this work of God to the people that come, everything just smells of humility. Because it's not about people. It's not about the place. It's not about technique. It's about God's spirit doing an amazing work. And they were doing something incredibly uncomfortable. They were confessing their sins and they were being baptized by him in the River Jordan. That's that's embarrassing. That's awkward. That's unpleasant. That's exposure. That's all. Not the kind of thing that we would do naturally. But that's because everything that is happening here is not natural, it's spiritual. And it's deep work. And the call that he brings is a tough call. I love the way John doesn't make things superficial. He could have simply said, hey, wherever you are, guys, you're coming out. Just put your hand up, say a little prayer and just go back home. No, no, no. There's a, there's a confession of sin. And there's a public baptism. And everything about this is saying to me, this is deep work. This is not superficial. This is not emotionalism. This is all about spiritual transformation. This is all about a business I was referring to in the previous point, about a transformation at the core of Christianity from sinners to saints. That's the business that John is into. And there's no shortcuts. This is the real deal. And again, it's a reminder to me that there are so many movements around the world you know, claiming to be awakenings, claiming to be movements of God. And they're all very often centered around personalities, whether, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a leader, whether it's a music group, whether it's a church. And they're centered around them. And, and what you see very often is just human talent, human technique, human stuff that can be really created, manipulated artificially. What you see in the awakening in John is, is nothing of that. And very often the message that you often see in those kind of places, it's stroking our ego. It's trying to make us feel nicer, better, more comfortable. Not the case with what is happening with John. And I think it's, it, it raises alarm bells for me about the people that have a spiritual influence on my life. Either the kind of people that are actually being like John, humble, understated, really making Jesus shine rather than letting themselves be seen, preaching a message that is not pleasant, not easy to take, not taking shortcuts, or am I listening to people who tickle my ears and build my ego? Who do I follow as an influencer? Are there people that remind me of John the Baptist or somebody different? What I also see is this shocking warning, verse seven. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of the stones, God can raise children for Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. Well, if you needed another proof that this awakening isn't about superficiality and ego-stroking, motivational, self-fulfilling messages, well, this is it. This is strong stuff. 
I mean, he's talking to the spiritual religious leaders at a time in Israel, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's not mincing his words. He's calling them brood of vipers. You would have thought that somebody like John would have been fairly pleased to have some of the spiritual elite of the Judaic religious life come and be part of the stuff that he was doing. It's the equivalent of, you know, high-ranking authority, spiritual, political, social, coming to your church and enjoying something that you're doing. Well, pastors' egos get so stroked at something like that. But John's not like that. He sees right through. And what he sees is a problem in their hearts and he doesn't care about addressing it. And that's why he gives them that shocking warning. And, and the problem in their heart was superficiality and religion. Superficiality because they were probably showing up because they wanted to be seen in the right place. So that when people talked about this John that was on the scene, they could say, hey, yeah, been, we've been there. Done that, bought the t-shirt, been there. They wanted to be seen in the right place. They wanted to get something on their Insta feed that showed them with John in the background baptizing people to say, yeah, I've been there. This is me. Great. Clocked in. John sees right through them. And he says to them, you're a brood of vipers. Because they were only interested in superficial outward challenges. And the inside was all wrong. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Looking nice on the outside, rotten on the inside. And just as much as John had a problem with them, Jesus had a problem with them and very often attacked them. And this is this is a very challenging message for us because we could be saying, well, that's, that's not us. Well, they were full of religious pride. They were doing all the right things religiously. They were the guys that were carrying around the big Bibles. They were the ones that were going to the prayer meetings. They were the ones that were saying those long prayers with the big, long words. But they were empty on the inside. What a danger. They were the ones wearing the label, but not living the lifestyle. Does that ring any bells? Is it possible that me and you could be in the same boat? I'm asking myself the question as I look at these strong words, this shocking warning that John is giving to the Pharisees and Sadducees as a leader and as a pastor and as a Christian. Is the claim that I make to follow Jesus backed up by evidence or is it just an empty claim? Would somebody who doesn't hear anything that I say but just watches my life, would they see evidence that I am spirit-filled, a follower of Jesus? Or am I in danger of being fake? I remember seeing the, this, this picture of somebody um, in Africa. And it's probably T-shirts that were taken by, by, by people. And basically there was this smiley guy. He had a T-shirt that simply says, baby on board. <laughs> so, I mean, either he was uber ironic in wearing that or he just didn't realize what he was wearing but i just thought i looked at that and i felt it was almost like a spiritual message for me sometimes we're just like that you know we, we claim to be following jesus we claim to be people who are spirit filled but the evidence just isn't there and we're kidding ourselves and we're embarrassment to all those around us the final thing in this awakening that i noticed in john's life look in verse 11 john is saying i baptize you with water for repentance but after me 
comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Listen, Johnny's saying it, and we better hear it. There is a greater blessing, and it can be found in Jesus. John does the greatest job any man. I mean, Jesus praised him and he said, there's no greater man born out of a woman than John himself. And he does the greatest job ever. Simply being the forerunner for Jesus. The announcer, the best supporting act, the one that welcomes and introduces Jesus and points people towards Jesus. He was absolutely radically determined that he would not be mistaken to be someone he was not. He was not the Messiah. He was not the son of God. He wasn't Jesus. And he makes sure everybody realizes that. And he points them out towards the greater blessing that comes from meeting and following Jesus. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. And that's what he was doing. He was encouraging people to do that, turning around, turning from one direction into moving into another. But that's, that's not entirely enough. There is more. And it comes with knowing Jesus. He says, but the one that comes is more powerful than I. And I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, what are you saying? What is this blessing? And the fire is a symbol in the scriptures of cleansing. And again, the water that, that, that John used at the baptism when the people were being baptized is that. But there's a, there's a cleansing that continues to happen in our life, this transformational cleansing. And it's just like the, the precious metals are being purified in the fire. In the same way, we, through the work of Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, are being purified. And then he says, it's not just a baptism of fire, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to the followers of Jesus to empower them to live the Christian life. It's God in us by the Holy Spirit, enabling to live the Christian life. And the Holy Spirit brings two things. It brings gifts and it brings fruits. The, 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 the gifts and the fruits enable us to have both the ministry and the character that displays Jesus's work in us. And that's the phenomenal greater blessing that is promised to us. And John is saying, hey, don't settle just for being baptized in the water. And by the way, if you've never been baptized in water, this for me, it's a normal Christian birth. If you want to be an authentic biblical follower of Jesus, and if you've decided to follow Jesus and you've never been baptized in water, seriously, I want to encourage you, get in touch with me. Or, or get in touch with whoever, if you're from another church, get in touch with your pastor and your leaders and say to them, I want to be baptized in water because I want to be a true, authentic follower of Jesus. But there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to ask you, did, did you have, did you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Again, I was using the, the analogy uh, uh, earlier on about trying to ride a bike with no chain on. You can't do it. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. He will come and bring fruits, which is all about character and gifts, which is all about ministry in your life. And that way you are able to display the character that a Christian person should have because they're following Jesus by the Spirit. And that way you're, you're able to have the great gifts that enables you to serve because you follow Jesus. So that's the greater blessing that is promised by John. He says, don't settle for this. There's more that comes with Jesus and through an encounter with Jesus. 
And this is the great truth and the great secret. It's not about a person that you need to go to. It's not about a special preacher or a great prophet that you need to seek. It's not about going to a certain place or a special event. It's about calling out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to experience the fullness of your blessing that John talked about, that I heard about, about being baptized with fire, having that sense of cleansing, and also being baptized with the Holy Spirit, having the presence of God through the Holy Spirit living in me. Don't settle for living without that. Because sometimes that's why we don't live in a sense of a spiritual awakening, because we're missing out on Jesus and what he offers as a blessing for our lives. And my encouragement to us is, is to embrace Jesus, live Jesus-centered lives. John did that. He didn't settle to set up John the Baptist Ministries International and the blessing of John. You know, he was pointing out people towards Jesus. That's what we're doing. That's what we're longing to continue to do is to help people embrace Jesus as savior who brings the cleansing and as king who brings the power to serve him. Listen, Jesus tells an incredible story. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's a story of, you know it really well, a son who rebels and clears off from home and lives an ungodly life really immoral and then there comes a moment when he comes to his senses after he's wasted all his father's money and he comes home repentant regretful uh, you know just wanting forgiveness from his father but in the house of the father there's another son who lived a totally opposite type of life very moral never run away never rebelled served his father did everything well but when his younger brother comes home he kicks off and he brings loads of accusations to the father. He's not glad that his brother is coming home. He's just bitter and twisted and full of anger. You know, every single one of us is experiencing a different time in our lives. Both those types of rebellion and religiousness. We could be identifying ourselves with a younger brother and feel like we've been rebellious. And if you feel like that, maybe this is a time as you hear this message to say, I'm God, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm leaving a rubbish behind. I'm coming to my senses. I'm walking away from all that mess and I'm coming home. Or maybe you're the very opposite. You've never left the church. You've never rebelled. You never wasted the money, never, ne never went and lived an immoral lifestyle. But if you're really, really, really honest with yourself, you're angry, you're bitter, you're twisted, and you're in church, but you're a bit dead. Maybe this is a wake-up call for you to come home to a father whose arms are ready to embrace you. Whichever of the two you identify yourself with, I plead with you, repent. Turn around, come home and experience that greater blessing that Jesus has for us. That's how awakening begins to come into our lives. That's how we're being released into actually serving our local communities and becoming the kind of believers and the kind of disciples and the kind of churches that turn the world upside down because they're so filled with Jesus. If we are the kind of prodigal sons and daughters who come home from either rebellion or religiousness, and simply say, God, by your spirit, just bring your awakening in me. Let's pray together. 
Thank you so much, Lord, for the beautiful truth that comes from the scriptures. I thank you for the incredible reminder that we glimpse from John's ministry. And really, it's not John's ministry. Even as I'm saying that, I'm realizing it's your ministry through the humble serving of John. And I pray that you will bring times of awakening into me, into my life, into our lives, into our lives as believers, into our life as a church, as CFM in our local community and to the ends of the world. Lord, we long for that sense of awakening. We long for that sense of being spiritually alive, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lives that shine with the character of Jesus and to do mighty spiritual works that remind people of the authority and the power of Jesus. Nothing about us and everything about you. And I'm praying that there be many that are listening to this message or watching this message. You would say, I'm coming home today. I've rebelled or I've lived a religious life, but I'm empty and dead and I need to be awakened spiritually. Oh, Spirit of God, come and bring your awakening into our hearts. We pray, bring it in our lives and as a result, bring it into our churches and nations. In your name we pray. Amen.